Good morning again, everyone. Happy Palm Sunday. I wanted to start out with two stories of what I would call misplaced hope and see if you can relate with these stories. The first is uh, from a friend, we'll call him Doug. This is over 25 years ago, so uh, you wouldn't know him. Um, but he was a fellow uh, college pastor, and we were working together in InterVarsity on a college campus, and he was increasingly becoming more uh, concerned about the ills of society, the things that our society was struggling and the messages that our society was hearing, and um, it was a presidential election year. And so as he prayed about the ills of society, he felt led by the Lord that he would get involved, that he would take action, that he would, he asked if he could put up posters in our uh, apartment window and all of that stuff. I said, sure, that would be fine. And then he uh, volunteered and and, uh, walked the streets a little bit. He voted early. He did all those kind of things. Um, And the election came. It was very close, and his candidate lost. And he was pretty disappointed. He had hoped that some of the ills of the society would be changed and transformed of this particular candidate. And he didn't really say it as much, but, but I knew that in part, his heart, he was a little not only disappointed in the loss of this candidate, but also disappointed in God. Because he had felt like God was leading him to do these things and address these things and be involved. He felt like he did his part in obedience and God let him down to a certain degree. Another story of misplaced hope, I would say, is a little bit more intense um, and significant. We'll call this friend... James, he was a financial advisor, James was. He was incredibly successful, uh, probably a millionaire by anyone's account. He went into his own uh, business and he was working and then due to some um, really surprising events, unprecedented events, and then the volatility of the market, this was a number of years ago, many years ago, that he got in trouble with the SEC, the Securities Exchange um, uh, Commission. And when when you get in trouble with the SEC, things usually don't go well. There's a very high percentage of things not going well. (laughs) Ultimately, they filed charges that he thought were profoundly unjust that were not accurate at all. And yet, he was going to fight these charges, but as many people know, you usually don't win in that process. And so, he decided to what they call cop a plea and roll over and hope, ask for the mercy of the judge that he would give a reduced sentence because of um, the, the charges in this he prayed hard. He, he read his Bible, I believe, harder than he's ever done. James did. He, he prayed harder. He asked friends and family if, uh, if we would pray for him in this process. He went before the judge. Um, he apologized. He asked for the judge's mercy, and the judge gave him the maximum sentence. 
James walked out of the courtroom and proceeded to take his Bible and put it in the trash can. Imagine his disappointment. It put his hope in the system that justice would prevail. And he'd put his hope in God that he would make sure it would be done. His sister would later, she would retrieve the Bible, she told me, believing that he would want to read it once again in the future. The question for us this morning is, what do we do in those moments? All of us can relate to that that despair, that law. We placed our hope in a person, in a system, in an, a particular outcome, in a political party, in a way. We placed our hopes there, and yet it doesn't work out. And so often we connect that to our faith in God. And not only are we disillusioned with that person or, or party or philosophy or outcome or whatever that is, we're a little bit disillusioned with God if we admit it. I think Palm Sunday has a little of this dynamic here. In fact, we're going to read the story. If you would turn with me to Luke chapter 19, this is really our our entrance into a holy week, and it does indeed begin with celebration. It begins with hope. It begins with palm branches. And yet, even in the midst of the story, by contrast, there is this angst that underlies the celebration. Would you pay attention to that with me? We're going to start in, I'm going to start a little bit earlier than I think we have verses. I'm going to start at verse 35, and this is Luke 19, verse 35. It says, They brought this colt to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it, and put Jesus on it. And he went along, people, (coughs) excuse me, As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They they saw it as inappropriate for him. I tell you, replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls, Jerusalem. They will not leave one stone on another 
because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. I'm always taken whenever I I read the story of this contrast of of celebration and angst. And and Jesus is that picture, right? Verse 40, he's saying that if if they're quiet, the, the rocks will cry out, right? And then the very next verse, what does he do? He weeps. He's inviting celebration and then yet is led to this place of sadness and despair. I wonder if his disciples were like, Jesus, you're kind of bringing the mood down a bit. Right? You need to stay, right? You need to keep the crowd pumped for what we're going to do. I'm also always taken as Natalie prayed that Jesus received that celebration and yet he know, knew the very people that were waving the palm branches, that were crying out, those very people would cry out in just days later, crucify him, crucify him. It is upsetting. <laughs> we timed that perfectly, Lauren, good job. How do you make sense? What happened with these people? Why the change? Why the weeping? Why, what was going on in this passage? I want to suggest it was misplaced hope by these people. I mean, it, to one sense, you could say, well, are, aren't they doing what the psalmist says Put your hope in God. Weren't they putting their their hope in Jesus? Well, I want to suggest that there is a nuance that is so crucial for us in our life and faith, a nuance that we seem to miss again and again. We seem to forget about, sometimes I forget about it, again and again. And that nuance, if we can get it and remember it and press into it, it can make all the difference in the world. And I want to suggest that this nuance is that we put our hope in desired results rather than our hope in God. That the hope that we place in God is conditional rather than unconditional. That we miss the invitation from the Lord. He's saying, I've loved you with an unconditional love, despite your sins, your struggles, your stumblings, your denial, your rebellion, and now I'm inviting you to place your hope in me, but not conditioned upon your desired results. And when we place our hope in desired outcomes, then very easily we're led to bitterness and struggle and distance. And when we place our hope in God unconditionally, then we're discipled, we're matured, we're brought closer to 
in a place of intimacy. You see, here's the thing, that our desired results, when they are unfulfilled, oftentimes we go to the place of, God, what are you doing? I thought you loved me. I thought you were my children. I thought you were for me. And that's not what's happening here. You see, oftentimes our desired results are out of alignment with God's will, his purposes, and his way. And we're thinking God doesn't love me anymore, or maybe God isn't the God who I thought he was, and yet potentially our desired results are out of line with his will, his intentions, and his way. And then I would even suggest this. Sometimes our desired results are in alignment with his will, his intentions, and his way, and yet they are out of alignment with God's timing. And I think potentially both was happening with the crowd with Jesus. Let's talk about God's timing for just a moment. Look at verse 44, that last verse. It says, they will, da- um, it says, they will not leave one stone on one another because you did not recognize the time. The Greek word is the kairos moment when, one, when God is doing something in history, his time of coming. They, they were missing. There's this fascinating picture in the book of Revelation. You all thought we were finished with Revelation. Oh, no. Revelation has this picture. It's in the middle of the book. It's in Revelation 7, and yet most scholars, many scholars believe it's right in the middle of the book is a picture of the end. When, when the kingdom fully comes and all the tribes are gathered around. Listen to see if this, uh, notice anything that connections with our story of Palm Sunday. Revelation 7, 9, and 10, it says, After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. God is doing this. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Any connection with our triumphal entry story? Right? Yes, God was doing this. Yes, God. He is going to rule and reign Someday, and all the tribes will be gathered before him, and yet, Jesus was doing something else. He was ushering in a time of forgiveness and grace, and their king was going to be crucified on the cross. The palm branch is the sign of victory, yes, but in some ways this foreshadowing of the triumphal entry to this moment of what God is doing. They were missing the time and the dynamic. But here's the application question that strikes me. Is my heart soft enough to trust God when his timing doesn't match my timing? Am I okay? Am I letting him say he gets to to plan the times that these events happen in my life? 
or will I be upset with him when they're not according to my timetable? And I would ask you this, is your heart soft enough to let God be the timekeeper and you not control it? You know, this pandemic Do you remember, you know, it's been over a year ago and I remember my first prayer when things were shut down and all things happened and I was like, Lord, it would be awesome if you would just miraculously heal this virus and wipe it away Easter 2020. (laughs) That was my prayer. He obviously did not heed that prayer, right? Now, by his grace, as I prayed that, as I prayed that, I I felt a sense that he was going to do something unprecedented in his world and in his church because of this pandemic. And so he guided me and began to change More asking, what are you doing in our midst right now? Help us understand, give us hearts to hear. The question is, are we willing to say, okay, God, if if my timing is off, because I know his will is to heal. I know his will is to transform. I know his will is to draw, draw all people to himself by this miraculous touch. I think it would have worked out better if he would have done it last Easter, right? But are we willing to trust him and say, okay, God, you. I think John the Baptist is is perhaps the most intriguing and instructive person in the New Testament related to God's timing or will or plan John the Baptist, of course, in the early stories of Jesus, he's the one who points out who Jesus is before anyone knows. Look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He was the one who actually baptized Jesus. He was preparing the way for Christ Jesus. He's the one who saw the the dove fall and rest upon Jesus and empower him for ministry. And then just a little bit later, John the Baptist is in jail. He's sitting there in jail, and he does this very surprising thing. He, he calls two of his disciples. He says, hey, go to, go to my cousin, Jesus, and ask him this question. Are you the one, or should we expect someone else? What? John the, the Baptist sends his disciples to ask Jesus if he's the one? How is that possible? I think if we read the story a little bit deeply, we can relate to it. That perhaps Jesus was not the Messiah that Jesus thought he would be, at least at this moment. John the Baptist talked about fire and and judgment and You know, Jesus was healing, which was good. But Jesus, where's the fire and the judgment? Jesus says this amazing and incredible thing to John. He says, um, 
Blessed are you. Blessed is he who does not fall away on account of me. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. I want to say a few words about missing God's will and plan and way. I believe that they were missing. Look at verse 42 again in our story. It says, if you, even you, Jesus says, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, Jesus was working a far greater peace than anyone in that moment of the triumphal entry could have even imagined or believed, and yet, It was not the kind of peace, the political peace that they were anticipating. It was a deeper peace, a more profound peace. And they were missing it. Sometimes I think we miss God's will and plans and purposes for our lives and others. I love the famous quote by Uh, Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Bell Graham, she said this, God has not always answered my prayers. If he had, I would have married the wrong man several times. Right? How about career choice, right? When when we're pushing and we're pressing into something and and praying, God, God, I really want to do this. Yes, this is me. I still occasionally, personally, ask him about my career. Like, God, are you sure? I was pretty confident that you wanted me to be the running back of the Chicago Bears. What? Are you sure? There's still a chance. Thank you for all of you who are shaking your head, just reinforcing. I really don't need that reinforcement. But again, it's this idea of God's will, right? And let me share a little bit more personally, if, if any of you have ever fought for a marriage, for a relationship, and, and have lost the, the depth of disappointment, the depth of, of disappointment in, in uh, the depth of di- disappointment, the other person in yourself, but also in God. God, what is up? This is killing me. You're cutting me in half. And yet, you know, God's way is not to violate free will. He invites, he blesses, but he allows us to choose, doesn't he? I prayed that he would violate free will anyways. But sometimes it's his ways that we're missing. Now again, back to this 
phrase that he gives John the Baptist, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. What a phrase. How do we understand that this is this invitation really from Jesus? In other words, he was saying to John, who was rotting in prison, who would be beheaded shortly, he's saying, John, I get it. The disappointment, you might be confused. What's going on? He says to us, I get it. You're struggling, you're hurting. And he's saying, would you trust me? Would you trust my will for your life? Would you trust my heart and my love for you? Would you trust my timing in your life? So how do we respond to that invitation? How do we move from that place of misplaced hope to a place of intimacy and strength? Just three quick suggestions from my, my personal experience, hopefully rooted in scripture. One is, there's this concept that's central to the Christian life that we don't talk enough about, and that's lordship. That when we give our lives to Christ, we're not just receiving forgiveness, but we're saying, Jesus, we're allowing you to lead. Your will over my will, your plans and purposes over mine, your timing over mine. Jesus is the, is the most beautiful example in these passages that we'll be reading for Holy Week. I hope you engage in the videos and the readings that we'll be offering throughout the week, the Good Friday service, and of course Easter. But when Jesus is the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane it says, Luke 22, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond the disciples that were praying for him, knelt down and prayed, you know the prayer, Father, if not my will, but yours be done. You know, one of the things I, I learned is because I don't understand God's will and, and purposes and timing all the time that I miss it, that I need to, to hold everything in life, including my kids and my wife, ministry, everything, absolutely everything, I hold very loosely before the Lord. And I entrust, I think this is part of lordship, I entrust these things to him on a regular basis. Now, Jesus, I hold on to him with everything I've got. But everything else, this open hand. I think lordship is one crucial aspect of how we do that. The second thing is this, is um, I, I don't want to brag or anything, but I have learned to complain to the Lord really well. And I think complaining is a part of it. I, I think he gets, I would argue, that, that you can do good complaining or bad complaining, right? You can complain 
about God. You can grumble about God. And we've seen when our complaining is about God, it usually does not go well. God does not bless that kind of complaining. Like his children in the desert, right? When they were grumbling, right? And yet we see leader after leader in the Old Testament especially, but including the New Testament, is a good complaining. We're not complaining about God. We're complaining to God. And we're saying, God, I don't get this. What is up with this, Lord? Help. And we see again and again, like Moses, when he complained well, God met him and ministered and, and taught him. Last Tuesday night in our upper room session and in our more of the Holy Spirit, there was a, just a, a small group of us, but there was a, it was a rich time. Those of you who are here know what I'm talking about. And um, I, I've had this neat thing that's been happening, a handful of these upper room sessions, and, and what God has been doing is just, he's just highlighting a person that I think he wants to pray for as they walk in, like even before we get started, and so that's been really neat. This last Tuesday, he didn't highlight anyone. I was like, that's weird. Why would you? Okay, God, and then, so I started strumming and, and so forth, and then it dawned on me, I might be the one who needs prayer. In fact, I had complained with the staff that morning in our staff meeting. I said, I've got the COVID blues. It's just like we're working so hard and where are the people and bleh. And then I said, well, I decided to share that as we started. And even before we we sang our first song, someone had a, a word for me that really ministered to my heart. And then people prayed for me. We prayed for one another. We prayed for this church. But it was this moment. And, you know, one of my first thoughts was, okay, I guess I'm complaining okay. (laughs) I'm in the good category. Let me keep complaining in a healthy, biblical way and say, God, Help me to do well. David says this in Psalm 142. He says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint. See, David did it. I think we get to do it. Before him, before him I tell my trouble. There is this invitation to be real and authentic in our prayer lives. Of course, I believe we're called to be reverent. We're called to be mindful of the God in which we pray to, that he is not like us, and yet he invites us to be real and authentic, especially in those moments of misplaced hope. And then finally this. He calls us to hope again, to hope again, but perhaps in a different way, not in a conditional hope, but in an unconditional hope, responding to his unconditional love for us. 
that we would once again unconditionally say, God, I trust you. God, I'm broken. I'm hurt. I thought this was your plan. My hopes were here. They've been dashed. I'm wounded, God. What's going on? I believe Abraham is a beautiful example of this unconditional hope. In fact, when Paul references Abraham's story the, uh, about the promised child, he says they are really old, right? They were really old. God gave them the promise that they'd have kids and then they moved beyond uh, child-rearing age. And yet, he says this about Abraham. He says, against all hope. Don't you love that? Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. And so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. There was, Abraham was like, I I don't get it. I'm super old. We've wrestled. We tried to go around God. We tried to help you in your plan for us, God. But that hasn't worked out, right? And yet, against all hope, despite of our circumstances that we believed and we prayed and we pressed into, whatever those desired outcomes were, despite that disappointment, even if it's against all hope, Jesus invites us into this unconditional hope. You know, I believe I'm learning slowly but surely that in that window of disappointment, in that window of timing and waiting and frustration, in that window of hopefully good complaining to God, he disciples and ministers and matures us in ways that he just can't do when things are good. Perhaps it's because we're just not listening in those moments. I did want to finish a little bit of James's story. James went to a federal penitentiary and slowly but surely I talked to James wife from time to time. God has been touching his heart slowly but surely. There's prison ministries that have been happening that beginning to soften his heart that he's starting to to read. He's starting to pray. He's starting to connect with God. James's wife says he's not there all the way. But God has him on the story of of hoping again, of of believing again. How beautiful if in this holy week, James would fully and completely, unconditionally place his hope in God. How beautiful would it be if in our holy week, this church, especially for those of us who are disappointed and struggling, that we would once again unconditionally place our hope in God.
Let's pray. I just want to facilitate for these next couple of moments any good complaining that we need to do. Any any source of disappointment, any struggle. Would you just give you just the next little bit? Can you just, what do you need to be real with God about? What do you need to place before him and say, God, I don't get this. God, I don't see your hand in this. God, I've been praying. When is the time? How long? How long? Just place that before might be too soon, just in these couple of minutes. might be sometime during Holy Week while you're reading or praying. Maybe Easter, but for those of you who are ready, just would encourage you at this moment to say, God, against all hope, I want to hope again. God, I want to place my unconditional hope in you. I trust your heart. I trust your ways. I trust your goodness. I trust your love for me. I trust your plans and purposes in my life. And I trust your timing in my life and those I love.